Welcome to Catholic Radio for Katie Anna's presentation of Cajun Catholics. Here's your host, Todd Citron. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, we praise and thank you for the blessing of your gift of yourself to us. And as we also honor your mother, whose feast day we celebrate today, we ask her intercession upon us as we make this interview and all who listen and will come to you through the knowledge of, of yourself. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You're listening to Cajun Catholics. I'm your host, Todd Citron, and I am super excited today to have Father Corey Campo. He is the pastor at St. Peter the Apostle in Gaydon Catholic Church. Uh, I duck hunt in Gaydon. It's my second home, and I, you know, for having Father here, and of course, Father and I have known each other a little bit before, but it's just a real pleasure. Welcome to the show, Father. Oh, I'm glad to be here. All right. Well, I always like to start out with you telling a little bit about yourself from the beginning. Let us know who, who you are. Well, I grew up in Lafayette, Louisiana, but especially now that I'm in Vermilion Parish in Gaydon, I'll kind of say, well, between Lafayette and Maurice, because I was a country boy, and it was very much the country then. You know, now you know everything's moving, moving that way, but it's still out in the country. And uh, went to well, I was baptized there in Maurice. So that's the other reason why I say Maurice. I was baptized at Saint Alphonse mm-hmm. Catholic Church, and uh, you know, we moved a little further into the city when we got older and went to public school, but uh, went high school at Saint Thomas More. Where, where some people got to know me a little more, and we, we moved to uh, Holy Cross Catholic Church there. That's where I was a parishioner was when I was ordained a priest. So how's that for an Holy Cross in Lafayette? Yeah, Holy Cross Okay, yeah, that's my church too. Man, we're like connected, you and I. Yeah, we, we live in, uh, right around the corner from there, and um, you know that's definitely my home church as well. You know, I'm a Roman Catholic, though. I roam around a lot, <laughs> you know, but that's cool. So, so who was the, the pastor back when you were when you were? Uh, well, it started well when I was at uh, when I was in Maurice. I remember Father Leonard's, but there was another uh-huh. priest, and then Father Marty, we, and then when we moved to Holy Cross because I was in the fourth grade, I remember. Uh-huh. The transition and it was Father Kale and I oh, remember yeah. him very well. He's very important with my my vocation, and then um, Father Kale w- was there. I'm sorry, and then mm-hmm. Father Marty was right after. But Father Father Kale was important for my vocation. He's so awesome. Mm-hmm. Father Kale did a, a two part series on the show, and it was yeah, just I heard the first half. Of super blessing. I mean, he's an awesome guy. Just amazing. So uh, so Father, um, you have brothers and sisters. Two sisters. Okay, both younger. All right, so you're the only guy in the house. That's right. <laughs> so, what was it? I mean, how was your bringing up your your your, I guess your faith life, your spirituality when you were a kid? I mean, y'all attended regular mass, and were you, you know, tell me a little bit about that. We did. I mean, we were all really pretty much cradle Catholics, but uh, also with the the sort of trappings that go with that, in the sense that a lot of people go to mass, but you know how deep your faith goes is not necessarily all that deep. But I do remember when things began to change. Uh, we, we were talking before the show, you, you talked about Crisio. My dad didn't make Crisio when he was younger, but one of his good friends did and invited him to start making a holy hour every mm-hmm. week. And I started to tag along. And that was very important for, for I know my dad in retrospect and myself too. That's how I got first acquainted with the community of Jesus crucified and Father Fry who was my spiritual director for a while, rest his soul. 
And, uh, you know, the, the community of Jesus crucified was as much my parish as Holy Cross in a lot of ways when I was in the seminary. Mm-hmm. Father Fry was, you know, the unofficial pope of of Curcia, you know. I so mean, I've heard. <laughs> yes, he was. My mom and and he were very close, and uh, he's just a phenomenal guy. Every everyone who comes through the show talks about how he touched their lives, you know. So was there a conversion moment for you, young as a as a young adult, or or there wasn't what most people call a conversion moment, but there's certainly a moment of deepening my faith, which started there with the Eucharist, and uh, probably the, the other conversion would be just beginning to learn about my vocation. I believe most young people receive their vocation when they're very early in their teens, like just kind of starting to mature. And I certainly believe that that's when God called me, but I didn't, I didn't recognize it. I, I remember now, you know, clear as day, I was in, I don't know, about the seventh grade and sitting in my room, kind of bored a little bit, you know, just kind of sitting there and wandering in my mind and the thought comes to my mind like well maybe i could be a priest but i immediately brushed it off and said well i got you know i'm gonna make computers and do computer programs computer engineering was the big thing then i was like i'm gonna do that and make lots of money so i didn't think about it again because no one had ever told me that god has a plan for you or that he asked i mean i prayed i went to mass like that was important to me I was serious about that, but no one ever told me God asks you to do things. Uh, In fact, funny little side story to that, uh, my understanding of vocation at the time, I remember seeing a, I don't know, a CNN special or something, and they had on it some Buddhist monks. Mm -hmm. Now, I knew who nuns were because my dad had taken me to the Carmelite Monastery once, and I remember them. But I remember thinking, man, that's sad. You have to be a Buddhist to become a monk. (laughs) That's what I thought. But anyway... Uh, so many years later, uh, I came back to that God, you know, he's very patient. He plants, he always plants the seed though. He gives it to you the moment that he wants you to answer, even if you're not ready or not able. And when I was at Holy Cross and I went to confession one day, many people have heard the story because I've told it many times. Um, uh, I was with confession with Father Kale and after confession was over, he kind of turned to me and said, well, have you ever thought about being a priest? And I quite honestly said to him, no, even though at the same moment, I instantly thought about that time in seventh grade I just described. And that's how I know that that was my call. I just, I didn't, I didn't understand it at the time. And when he said that, I remembered it and I said, no. And he said, well, you should pray about it. And I did. And actually, I went out to the car with my dad. I was like, dad, you know, strangest thing happened. And then he kind of said, well, that's strange that you say that too, because he, you know, someone had talk to him through a person and it just began this chain of people kind of asking that helped me to begin to to become aware that God is asking something of me so it it wasn't so much it's not that a call the priesthood is a conversion but through the process it was an awakening to God of like God is active in my life Mm -hmm. so that's that's the part of it that I would say is a conversion I, I realized more personally that God is active in my life and I need to respond to that. And of course, Father Fry was a big help with the process too. I'm sure. So, um, you know, I always like to know, I guess, um, for me, I, when I think of priests, I think, you know, I think I bet all priests have gone through some sort of supernatural thing that's kind of triggered that. But, but then I, I hear a lot, you know, like you're saying, it's, it's sort of a lot of little things that led up to it, but you know, um, 
more 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 little things right that's yeah. that's yeah. very much my experience and as a priest with other people too you know mother teresa probably said that the best because everyone always like oh my gosh mother teresa i can't do what she does it's so big right and she would always kind of say like i don't do big things i do little things with great love and that's true right she was speaking truly of her life but that could also be said of god you know, we want God to do big things, but that's not the way that he works. He does little things that have great impact. Mm-hmm. So what do you think of, Father, when you when you hear the term Cajun Catholics? I guess we're both sitting here being from Lafayette our whole lives, for me as well, you know, love our faith. You know, uh, I say it's uh, Cajun Catholics is where faith and um, and culture collide. Uh, but what's it like? And you're really—I'm going to call it the testosterone center of the earth and Gaydon over there, as it, as it pertains to duck hunting. You know, you got some real Cajuns. That's the real Cajun country right there. What, what's it like? Uh, what, what, what do you think special about our area? Well, I'll say a couple of things. So first, to your point about living in my area, the duck capital of America. Yeah, there's kind of real salt of the earth people there, and so. In that sense of Cajun Catholics, and, and very much where I grew up in, in the Maurice area, uh, the salt of the earth people, they're, they're just very down to earth, you know, their expression of faith. You know, sometimes it could be a little deeper, but there's roots there. You know, there's really something that God can work with, even when there's sort of been this just like they go to church and they don't pray publicly. But those people who do that, though, come hell or high water, they're going to be at Mass. You know, I had people at my church when I first got there, the sound system was really terrible, and they couldn't hear anything, literally. Like, they went to Mass, because they were supposed to go to Mass, and they just sat there, and they could not hear <laughs> because of their hearing and the sound system being bad. So that's one sense of of the faith. But also, you had, um, oh, I'm forgetting his name, you had Paul... Um, on your show yeah, the other day. Yeah. He, um, he's, he's been working with my parish, and he oh, has a good awesome sense of, of Cajun Catholics, too. I mean, he talks kind of about the whole state of Louisiana. Paul McLean. Yeah. That, that there's this unique place that our whole state has with the Lord. But I think even from that, in our area uh, especially, there's another call, because the Cajuns are a chosen people by the Lord. And you go and you look at the history of the Cajuns being deported from uh, Acadie and their Catholic faith. Like the historians don't really record, they don't focus, it is recorded, they don't focus on how important faith was a part of their being expelled by the British. One of the things they were being told by the British to do is to swear allegiance to the Queen as uh, the, the head of the church, and they wouldn't do it. So their faith was always very important, and, and they were expelled for it. And then for their faith, they also were sort of reunited. Now, we've had some challenges with that. You know, there, there was great challenges, I think, to the faith when the Cajuns came to Louisiana because they encountered new temptations that weren't around in other places they lived. But nonetheless, mm-hmm. they have been really uh, special because of that. And I think special to Our Lady. I mean, the patroness of the Acadians is... Our Lady of the Assumption, but I, I really see kind of a call of Our Lady too in that, that littleness. You know, the Cajuns always embrace being little. That's where the split came when they came to Louisiana. You had the sort of more bourgeois, kind of upwardly mobile Cajuns who were sort of um, putting down on the poor Cajuns who were just happy to have enough money 
for their family and their friends. And that's where the Cajun and Zotico music came, is the, mm-hmm. the poor sort of Cajuns played and, and worked in the field with, with the poor blacks. And at the end of the day, they had some joie de vivre, right? And they played the music. And, and they just shared that that joy of life, which is, that joy of life is, is really at the heart of what it means to be a Cajun for me, especially when you say Cajun Catholics, it's that joie de vivre. You know, I used to talk to... Um, uh, L'Angelus, some of the, the members of the band there, and that's what we would talk about, that joie de vivre. In fact, it's part of the um, the symbolism and, the, and some of the things I put on my chalice because it's for me, it's the Cajuns is, is what I had in mind when I was putting that together. And that joie de vivre was important because it's the heart of that humble Catholic faith that I think God chose us for. You are in the right place, my man. I mean, I, I'm just so happy and excited for you to be in Gaydon because, uh, you know, uh, you have such an appreciation for the Cajun culture. Uh, I'm hearing that a history. And, I mean, it's just, I just always, you know, like I said, I've been duck hunting in Gaydon for 15 years, and I love the people. It's, it's, uh, I love the place, and uh, I think you're in the right place. God's got you where he needs you. Well, it's, it's not everywhere I would have thought. Be, <laughs> uh, not because I'd actually spent time in Gaydon before there. I would go and visit some days, and I'd spend a day of prayer. And, and Father uh, Vadrine, who's mm-hmm. my predecessor, said, oh, well, you know, you can come say, why, why don't you say Mass for me, too? <laughs> so mm-hmm. I did. I was happy to say Mass for him and, and spend some time in prayer. And in that aspect, I, I wouldn't have imagined that having been there and prayed. Because I didn't ask the bishop to go anywhere. I just told him, you oh, know, Bishop, if you think you're ready to make me a pastor, I'm just open to that. I want to tell mm-hmm. you where I need to go. And, and I'm grateful for that, too, because there's a blessing of knowing the will of God through your superiors, that when times get difficult or tough, a little challenging, you know that I am where God wants me to be. And there's real grace in that. You know, there's a real confidence that you can have, whereas when you sort of make up what you think the will of God is, then there's some doubt that maybe enters in your mind. Uh, you're listening to Cajun Catholics. Today's guest is Father Corey Campo from... Uh St. Peter the Apostle Church in Gaydon, and um, he's a young priest that I know that, you know, it's so heartwarming for the kids. I'm going to speak, I'm not a kid, but, you know, for, for some youth to be injected into our our, our faith, to our, our Catholic Church, and he brings that youth and excitement and, and uh, enthusiasm to Gaydon. And uh, it, it really has a ripple effect uh, out there. Um, now, I've been to the church in Gaydon, and I, it's a big church. It's... it's um, I was struck by how many, I don't know how many that church seats. It's a lot. That church should seat about 700. Yeah, that's a big number, you know. And um, and another thing that struck me when I went to Mass there, when I had gone prior to you going, was how, how formal the Mass was. Really, a lot of heavy incense, a lot of big, you know, uh, I would say a high mass is what I would call that, and and the, and that's it seemed like that was regular business over there, and that that the the, the parishioners were were used to that. Is it still you still kind of a really formal mass or not? Quite yeah, we still much? have the incense at the ten thirty mass. Sometimes we yeah. don't, depending on the number of altar servers that we have. But we always try to to. I didn't institute that. I was happy to receive it from my predecessors. But, you know, the reason we have all those things, sometimes people get focused on, on, on it as this formalism and they sort of mm-hmm. like, we need to tear down the walls and the formalisms. But it's not about that. Like, it's not about the rules. It's about giving glory and honor to God. Okay, we, we as Catholics, we have smells and bells as the sort of pop mm-hmm. turn for it. But what it is, is giving in our hands and things we can perceive an appreciation to God. 
So it, it's a way that we sort of can tangi- uh, tangibly kind of understand who God is and then give him right, laud, honor, and praise. And the incense also is a symbolism of our prayers. So it's, it's you know, it, it covers the smell. Like when you talk about the, the sacrifice, like in the, the Old Testament, you needed the incense to cover the smell. And there was actually, in the Old Testament, there was a type of incense only the priest could use. And it was forbidden by God to reveal that for any other purpose than for the sacrifice for God. Uh, so it's, it's, it, it's a symbolism there with Jesus in the Eucharist of covering our sins, right? But also of our prayers rising up to God and giving him the right honor and glory due his name. We forget that. He's really close to us, and that's important. But we never need to forget either that, that he is the Lord and he, we owe him our praise for sure tell me father um what's one thing that you would say if i had you had to pin my it's the hardest part about being a priest your, hard, your hardest part the the hardest part about being a priest is is seeing sort of the needs of the people that they themselves are unaware of so like you know people always focus on confession they always think that that's the hardest thing it's really not it's really the easiest thing that one's hard for me it, well, I, I can relate. Yes, to that. but as a priest, it's the easiest thing because you know it, it's where I can most directly help bring a soul to God. You see, I mean, in the mass l- lately, as a priest, you know, I have a more and more of an appreciation. Actually, f- let me go back to what I was formerly saying because that gives the tie-in. Uh-huh. You know, the the confessions is is wonderful. Like I don't sit there. People think it's hard because they think we dwell on the sins and we're like thinking about them and sort of living. That's as it's not what we focus on at all. It's about bringing freedom to the soul. I need to give as I have received. And as a priest, I have that privilege of sitting in the confessional. That's what it is. So that's what I focus on in, in, in there. What's difficult then is, you know, giving out, we give out communion. And you look people in the eyes as you're giving out Holy Communion. And it's true what they say, that eyes are windows into the soul. And you know, because I have met, and you can listen to people like there's a documentary. I listened once to the UN commander that was in Rwanda when the genocide was there. And he said, one of the things he said is when he looked in the eyes of these guys who were doing all the killing is you could look in their eyes and see that they were dead in their soul. Mm. And when I give out communion, I see that and I'm not thinking about it like, like oh, well, this person is this or that. I'm looking at them as this person needs Jesus. And being a priest, like I know what the Lord has to offer them. And so sometimes it's sad to me. It's sad to me because I want for them to have what I've received and what I know that God wants for them. You know, it's like a father of a family too. You want the best for your children. They don't always want that best. And that's the hardest thing because you can't force someone to take it. Uh, Where it ties in with the Mass and has made the Mass more meaningfully for me is a realization that Jesus takes that own suffering on his own heart. They think of him, like he wanted the best for the apostles, and yet they all denied him, right? Can you, can you not stay an hour with me? And they, and they couldn't. Bless their heart, they couldn't do it. And yet the Lord offered them that opportunity. And so he takes upon his heart that weakness of not being able to give what he actually could. He could force it, so to speak, but he doesn't. And so in the Mass, I just take that as an opportunity to, to unify my heart with his, that he willed to have that helplessness, so I'm going to accept that helplessness too, so that in the Mass, it's an offering to God that can be for their souls, 
that in God's time they will receive what is his plan for them. You made me think of a question that uh, it's, it's, it's a guilt that I have, and I wonder if other Catholics maybe feel the same way. But sometimes when I go to communion and I, I take communion in the hand, I feel guilty. It's like, oh, well, the guy in front of me or behind me, they took it in their mouth and they're more holy. Or, you know, I mean, that's help me with that. Well, <laughs> I don't think you have to feel guilty for it in as much that it's a permission the church has given. However, I think it is more dignified to receive on the tongue because, uh, I mean, there, there's a number of reasons that people have given uh, that it is, you know, that we are fed by the Lord, like we are fed, that we receive from God what is greater than us. And the priest's hands, like part of part of the traditional understanding, is that the priest's hands are anointed for handling the Eucharist. So it's kind of like with with the the incense. The church has given a permission for us to receive in the hands, so you can, and you don't have to feel bad about that. At the same time, it is more dignified in the sense that receiving on the tongue is a reminder that this is God. One thing I've encountered a lot as a priest is the loss of the sense that this is God. And so that's the danger that we have sometimes receiving, you know, communion, standing, or, or in the hands, is that we, we can forget in the familiarity that the church affords us that this is God and he's due dignity, honor, and praise. For example, when we receive in, in the hands, as the church has given us to do, we, we need to inspect our hands that there's no fragments of the Most Holy Eucharist because, you know, you just... Mm-hmm. Wipe your hands as you're walking down the aisle. Now we've got fragments of Jesus on the floor that we're walking on. Now, is he going to condemn someone to hell for that? I, I don't think so, unless they purposely are doing it. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, even if he doesn't condemn us for an act we innocently do, Jesus still pays the price. So I'll tie it to that a little phrase I like to repeat often. Because the Lord freely gives you mercy. doesn't... He doesn't charge that he gives you mercy, but it's not free in the sense that he paid for it. Mm-hmm. I'm a Eucharistic minister, and I, and I guess I asked that question because I, I know when I give communion and people take it in their mouth, it's, I don't know, for me, that's better. Like, it's like, I don't know why. You know, I feel like I do feel some, I, I, I do feel that they're a little more reverent. And, and I'm, believe me, out there, I'm guilty because I take it in my hand almost every time. And uh, it just was something that crossed my mind. Curious. Well, okay, so what's the best part? Give me the one thing that you think right now in your life is the best part about being a priest. The best part of being a priest lately is more and more being more unified to the Lord in the Mass because, you know, things are difficult today. So I described a little bit about, you know, wanting to bring Jesus in every way to to the people that I serve and to the church throughout the world but you feel overwhelmed, and in a way, God wants us to feel overwhelmed. Uh, not that he wants us to be defeated, but he wants us to realize that you are not strong enough. I love my dear friend, Father Philip Scott, that's visited my parish a few times, and he's really great about that. He's always saying, God doesn't need your strength. You don't need to be strong enough. The question is, are you weak enough? Because mm-hmm. when we are weak, then then we have God's strength. And so more and more meeting my own foibles, and, and I, I worry about them too much sometimes. Not that we, we always need to repent of our sin. I'm not saying we don't need to repent of our sin. It's absolutely important that we repent of our sin. But the reality is you're going to be a sinner every day of your life. 
There's no way you can escape it. And we live by faith in Jesus so that despite my sinfulness, he still has a way. And so the Mass, you know, when I have those moments where realizing the things that I can't help or I want to be better and, and, and are out of my control, the Mass is the one place where that makes sense because it's the one place where our faith is most important. You can't see the heavenly realities, but in your faith, you can make the offering of yourself and be taken into the Lord's own sacrifice, and He makes sense of it. So I have faith that He takes all those things in His sacrifice to the Father and there it makes sense, and there it's in God's providence, and there all things will be all right. So that is that is the preeminent thing in my life now if I'm going to choose one thing. Mm-hmm. One thing that uh, we, my a friend and I were talking about yesterday, I knew you were coming on the show, and I was talking about different things that we were going to talk about. And, uh, you know, in the retail business, it can be tough. If, if, if you mess up in my line of business, someone's car, and they get upset with you, that's one thing. If you're a doctor and you're out there on the operating table and you mess up, well, now getting a little more serious you know and as a priest you know i thought about for me you know the hard, a hard part would be doing funerals and and how you know do you feel pressure i mean i i would be so concerned that i wouldn't do things perfectly because people are in such a vulnerable state and it's their loved one and is that that you all that good, doesn't you know? actively come into my mind i mean i'm human so sometimes I do sort of wonder because like I preach a lot about the same sort of things at funerals because it's things that people don't think about. Mm -hmm. Number one thing I preach about in funerals is pray for the deceased. They need your prayers. Too many people think you just die and you go immediately to heaven. That's completely contradictory to the teachings of the church, the saints, the witness of the mystics. And uh, it's, it's important really for our own consolation for their souls, too, that that we want to have hope that they go to heaven. It's important that we pray for them. That's one place that God gives me. So I, I don't feel pressured at funerals at all. I don't feel worried, you know, in, in the times that I do worry a little bit, I just give it to the Lord. What hits my heart the most at funerals is when I see, you, you can tell as a priest when you're with people, if they have faith or not. Mm-hmm. And it's not a judgment. It's just a feeling in your faith as you offer the Mass. It, it The way only way I can describe it is there is a burden or a joy in offering the Mass, and it is related, in my opinion, to the faith of the people. And so when I see people at a funeral that have no hope and seem to have no faith, that's really sad for me. And I take that, and as I was describing before, I make it an offering, a part of the Mass, that the Lord can do something with it, but that's the one thing that, that weighs heaviest on my heart at a funeral. But it's like, man, like then it really is sort of hopeless and, and dark and, and difficult if you have no hope and no faith. Because, I mean, I've had my own difficult moments in my life, and I know that if I didn't have faith, gee, I don't know yeah. where I'd be. So, you know, I make that real prayer for them. We have just about a minute left on the show. I want to hear what's going on in your parish. I think there's a big event coming around. Let, let us know about that. Yes, yes, very much so. Uh, We are going to very soon, December 14th, instead of an Advent mission, we're going to have a Congress for the Eucharist. You know, so it's like a day of prayer and devotion, focus on Jesus. We want to honor him in the Eucharist. So we're going to have some speakers who are going to talk about that, and I will will preach at Mass, and then we will process with Jesus and the Blessed Sacrament through through the city streets because we need we need public witness, not just for the for the outsiders. It's also for us to give God the glory and honor due His name. Uh, so that that's what I'm I'm pretty excited about it. I that's going to be, be a great, great event. Mm-hmm. 
All right, just a few seconds left on the show. How are you? Is it okay if people wear camouflage in your church? Yes. <laughs> All right, you especially, heard it. Especially this time of year. <laughs> you heard it. All right, you heard it here first. So I just want to thank Father Corey Campbell for being on the show today. He's a great guy, uh, love for Christ, and I think he's someone who's going to lead our church into the next level. He's a great Cajun Catholic, and uh, it's I'm proud to be called your friend. Thank you for coming on the show. You've been listening to the Cajun Catholic Radio Show. Uh, we feature outstanding Catholics from all over Acadiana. Please uh, engage the Cajun Catholic in you. Thank you, Father. You're welcome.